Hello, good evening. How are you guys doing? Good. Well, uh, thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you uh, for joining us on your Valentine's Day. I'll try, to, I'll try to keep this a quick hour and a half so you guys can make all your dinner reservations. I'm just kidding. But really, thank you for being here tonight. Um, I'd like to point out a little bit of the elephant in the room. Um, that, that Ash Wednesday has fallen on Valentine's Day this year. Um, I was actually just talking to another staff here at CPC, and they said that this hasn't happened since the 1940s. Um, and so, it, honestly, it, it's hard to forget that it's Valentine's Day today. If you're anything like me, you're watching the Olympics, and, and you're sitting there, and it seems like every other commercial is a Valentine's Day commercial. It's always telling me to buy more jewelry, buy two dozen roses, where to go out for dinner. I'm listening to the radio and it's telling me this is the, this is the necklace that you need to get because that's the only way that your significant other is going to think that you love them. And it's hard not to fall into that, that rhythm of thinking about love that way. As I was preparing to talk about love tonight, I couldn't help but think that, that love was like this bright pink, deep red, it's candlelit, it's Hollywood, it's, it's romantic comedy. And so tonight, instead of avoiding talking about Valentine's Day, we wanted to lean into it and begin our Lenten season talking about love. Because if we read our Bibles, we realize that the way God talks about love is extremely different than the way we tend to talk about love. That the way Jesus teaches about love to his disciples and to the people he meets is quite a bit different than what we hear in the Hallmark commercials or what we see on billboards. And so tonight we're going to talk about some scripture from 1 John 4. But before I get into that, I wanted to give you a little bit of background about John's letters because they tend to be a little bit different than Paul's. If you've read any of Paul's letters, Paul... I think maybe had a little bit of OCD. He was definitely organized. He really liked to start off his letters with who it's to and what it's about. They're extremely organized, and anytime you read the first chapter of a Paul letter, you know exactly what he's going to talk about. John decides to flip the script a little bit and talk totally differently and write his letters in a totally separate way. John decides, I'm actually not going to tell you who it's to, and I'm just going to dive right in because that's how I feel about this. And so scholars have to look at all three letters of John to figure out who he's writing to and what he's writing about. So we know a few things. John knows the church that he's writing to, and he knows them really well. Scholars think that these are good friends of John and that John really cares for the church community that he's writing to. What we also know is that this church has just gone through a big divide. This church has just gone through a big split, and John is trying to write to them to give them encouragement and some direction moving forward. To be honest, it's hard not to sympathize with those in that church community, because in our culture today, I believe that it's not hard to look and find conflict. And it's definitely not hard to find divides. And so even though John writes this letter hundreds and hundreds of years ago, I feel like it's a perfect letter for us to read today. 
So if you have your Bibles or if you want to grab one from the pew, you can open up to 1 John 4, 7 through 11. If you happen to have a hard time finding 1 John, it's basically at the end of your Bible. If you hit 2 John, you've gone too far. And if you're in uh, 2 Peter, you can just keep flipping, you'll eventually hit 1 John. And so this is where John picks up in chapter 4 of his first letter to this divided church. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because... God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. I think right off the bat, we can see that John is trying to give a directive to how this church is supposed to move forward. If I'm going to be a part of this church, what do I do? And John gives them a singular directive, a catch-all, a this is, if you do one thing, this is what you're supposed to do, and that's to love other people. And John goes even a step further to tell you who we should look to towards what kind of brand of love we should be giving. He says you have to look no further than to Jesus. In verse 10, he says, Love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We can see that this brand of love that John wants his church and John is later telling us to do, this brand of love is sacrificial. This brand of love is not even necessarily fun to give. It can't be bought at Walgreens. Instead, it costs us something. Instead, it hurts to give. It means putting someone else way ahead and way above ourselves to give. And John tells us that the bar of this love, if we want to figure out what we have to clear to make sure that we are giving this brand of love, is Jesus on the cross. I don't know about you, but that is an extremely high bar. But it allows us to know that God's brand of love is sacrificial. As I was preparing the sermon for for tonight, I stumbled upon a story that I think illustrates this perfectly. To be honest, I have no idea where it initially occurs or who wrote it first, but it shows up all over in different books, and it's about a couple of siblings in the Vietnam War. It begins like this. If if you know anything about the Vietnam War, it ended up being staged all over the country of Vietnam and often took place in jungles and small villages And these villages found themselves absolutely destroyed and caught in the middle of this conflict. And oftentimes, American medics would go through these villages and try to help people, help try to help people that were caught in the middle. 
And so two medics are walking through a village, and they stumble upon two siblings, an older brother and a younger sister. And these two medics walk up to the boy, and they figure out that he has some injuries, but he's going to be okay. However, his sister isn't as lucky. They figure out that the sister has lost far too much blood, and if she doesn't get a blood transfusion right away, she is going to die. The two medics put their heads together, and they figure out that the best shot is probably with the brother. If they're looking for someone with the same blood type, a sibling would be the best chance. And so through a translator, they talk to the little boy, and they try to explain to him what they need to do to help his little sister. And so they explain what they're going to do, and the boy finally looks up and nods. And so they get the needle, they put it in the boy's arm, and before long, the boy is sitting there watching blood leave his arm and go into his sister's. And a few moments later, as the boy is sitting there and as the blood transfusion is stabilizing his sister, he looks up at the medics and through the translator says, how long is this going to take until it kills me? The medics look back at the translator and they say, are you sure you got that right? And the translator said, yeah, the little boy thinks this is going to kill him. And so the medics say, why would he think that? Of course a blood transfusion isn't going to kill him. He's going to be fine, and he gets to save his sister. But they figure out as they talk to the little boy that lost in translation was he thought the blood transfusion was going to have to take his life to save his sister's. This is the kind of love that John is talking about. It's a love that's sacrificial and puts other people far in front of oneself. You see, this little boy was convinced this was going to kill him, but he also knew that he loved his little sister, and he knew that he would do whatever it took to save her life. And now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't believe that John is saying that we always need to give our lives to love other people. But I do think that John is unequivocal in saying that this is going to cost something of you. This is a love that isn't easy to give, but it means everything to give. The second thing that I see out of this scripture is that John is saying, by loving others, we learn more about who God is. In verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. You see, what John knew was that love is so intrinsically tied to who God is that just by loving, we know more about who he is. If you're an observant reader, you might also notice, John says, everyone who loves has been born of God. This is from the Gospel of John, and it comes from a conversation Jesus actually has with a religious leader, where Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to be born again. And so what John is saying here is that to follow Jesus, you need to love other people. And not only do you need to love other people, but it needs to be this sacrificial brand of perfect love. In the same way that Jesus loved you, you need to pass that on to others. But this doesn't only help us. 
What I think is even cooler about this is not only do we get to learn more about God by loving others, but those who we love get to a taste of who God is. They also get to experience this crazy, unbelievable love firsthand. And while they might not be able to put their finger on it, they know it's different. They know there's something special about this kind of love. The third and final point I see out of this scripture from John is that we cannot really claim to be following Christ if we do not love others. A verse later, in verse 8, John says, The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if we can know God by loving, the inverse is also true. If we claim to be following Jesus, we have to love others. And if we don't love others, we can't claim to be Christ followers. This seems kind of harsh, because I think if you're anything like me, I like to separate those two things. It becomes easier. It becomes easier to say, yeah, I, I follow Jesus, I go to church, I do all of these things. I still hate that person, though. They're still terrible. I, yeah, 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 Jesus says that I should love people, but them? Not them. I can still check all the boxes and I don't need to love them. But here's the deal. John doesn't say it's a good idea to love others. He doesn't say, I suggest you love others. He doesn't even say, this is a good way to grow your church, to love others. Instead, he very clearly says, we, the one who does not love, does not even know God. Because God is love. I love that today is Valentine's Day because if you want to know what love looks like separated from Jesus, it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> Just think about it. Yes, it's all great. Going out to great dinners is awesome. Buying jewelry for your special someone. Buying flowers. It's great. The way I know it's great is I did the same thing to my fiancé earlier today. But those flowers will die, that dinner will fade out of your memory, the jewelry will tarnish, and you're not really left with anything. You see, love separated from Jesus is just a shell of what it's meant to be. If you want to see what true, life-changing, perfect love is, it's by sacrificing something for others. It's by giving a love that puts other people in front of yourself and saying, I don't care what happens to me. That's unimportant. I love you more. Now, this is hard to do. I'm not saying that this is easy by any means, but I also think that if you want to follow Christ, this is what you're called to do. This is the deal. You can't get one without the other. And so as we head into Lenten season, as we head into a season where we naturally try to learn more about who Jesus is, as we lean into the story of Jesus and his life and his sacrifice on the cross at Easter, the best way to lean into that is by loving other people, is by giving sacrificially of yourself to other people and showing them what the love of Christ looks like. It's not Hallmark cards. 
It can't be bought. But anyone can do it. No matter if you're in preschool in here, or if you're a grandparent, or anything in between, you can do it. And so, I'm going to pray in a second, but most of you should have received a little heart as you walk in. If you could pull out that little heart. This little heart is going to be a part of the offering today. It's going to be a part of communion and receiving the ashes today. Because the last thing I want is for you to leave here and for it to just be any other Ash Wednesday service. I don't want you to just leave here having taken communion, have the cross on your forehead and say, yep, I'm good. Instead, I want to challenge you with this little heart. I want to challenge you in the next few minutes of meditation to write something on here that you can do to love someone this Lenten season. Something that you commit to for all of Lent up until Easter in order to show the love of Jesus to the people around you. It could be actually meeting that next-door neighbor that you haven't put any time into meeting for the last six years since you moved in. It could be building a relationship or mending one, maybe with a family member or a friend. I don't know what it is, and I don't claim to know what it is, but I promise that something will come to your head. And I challenge you to write it down and commit to it for this Lenten season. Because by doing so and by loving, we get to bring the kingdom closer here during this Lenten season. Please pray with me. Father, thank you so much for everyone in this room. Thank you that you've made us to love. Thank you that we get to be made in the image of you and bring the kingdom here. Father, I pray that this message wouldn't just end tonight, but instead continue through this Lenten season, and that it would bring us closer to you and bring you closer to those that we interact with. Thank you for who you are. In your name I pray. Amen.